This is the Bible in one year, day 145. How to face giant problems. Goliath was a giant. He was nine feet tall, a champion, wearing heavy armor, standing and shouting, defying the people of God. As well as physical giants, there are metaphorical ones. A giant is a big, seemingly insurmountable problem or issue. Personal giants could include giant personal challenges in relation to your health, marriage, family, relationships or lack of relationships, job or lack of job, or some sin, temptation, addiction, fear, loneliness, discouragement or debt. National giants in the UK include terrorism, racism, gang violence, homelessness, breakdown of marriage, family life and community. There is therefore the giant task of evangelizing the country, revitalizing the church and transforming our society. Global giants include war, climate change, pandemics, extreme poverty as a result of which thousands of children die each day, preventable disease, millions dying of diseases for which we have a relatively easy cure, the need for universal primary education, almost one billion people unable to read and the need for worldwide water sanitation, which could be funded by the amount of money that Europeans spend on ice cream every year. There are two possible attitudes when facing a giant. One is to say, it's so big, there's nothing I can do. The other is to say, it's so big, I can't miss. From Psalm 67 May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still, so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Think global. God loves the entire world. He wants all nations and peoples to know him, worship and love him. The psalmist prayed for God's blessing on his people, in order that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. We see in this psalm that the global vision for the people of God, beyond their own borders, was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. The psalmist prays for the entire globe. If we are to tackle the global giants, we need a global vision. The words of this psalm are all about God. The size of your vision will depend on the size of your vision of God, as A.W. Tozer put it, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Lord, be gracious to us and bless us. Make your face shine upon us. Make your ways known on earth and your salvation among all nations. May all the people praise you. New Testament from John 15 and 16 I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. 
while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. John chapter 16 All this I have told you, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. 
I have told you this, so that when their time comes you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. Testify about Jesus. There is nothing more important and no greater privilege in life than to be a friend of Jesus. Jesus says, you are my friends. I no longer call you servants. I have called you friends. Having Jesus as your friend allows you to tackle the giants in your life, in the church and in society, from a unique standpoint. First, personal. Jesus tells us that there are two secrets of Christian fruitfulness. First, there is pruning. The purpose of pruning is so that you can bear even more fruit. Pain, sorrow, sickness and suffering, loss, bereavement, failure, disappointment and frustrated ambition are some of the ways your life is pruned. Pruning can seem cruel. Branches are left jagged and exposed to face the harsh winter. But the purpose of pruning is to give way to newness of life. When spring and summer come, there is an abundance of fruit. The sharp pruning knife will, in the end, bring fruitfulness and blessing. The second secret of fruitfulness is closeness to Jesus. You cannot take on the giants by yourself. Jesus says, when you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. You will only succeed in tackling the giants if you stay close to Jesus. Cultivate a growing friendship with Jesus by spending time with him, walking with him, praying and listening to him through his word, following his desires. Jesus says that if you stay close to him, remain in him, three things will happen in terms of fruitfulness. First, your prayers will be answered. Second, God will be glorified. Third, your joy will be complete and overflowing. Jesus wants you to be filled with joy and fully alive. There is no greater joy than to know you are valued, precious and loved by God and to love others as you are loved. There's no greater joy than giving eternal life to others in and with Jesus. Second, church. There are massive giants facing the church today. The biggest giant is disunity. Nothing is more of a hindrance to the message of Jesus than division between Christians. Disunity will only be overcome by love. Jesus said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is my command, love each other. Third, society. Jesus warns us that we will face the giant of a world that hates us. He says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. He says, those who kill you will think they're offering a service to God. There are parts of the world where this is literally true today. But there's also other more subtle forms of hidden persecution. No one likes to be rejected, looked down on, made fun of or ridiculed. Jesus warns, that wherever you are, you should expect opposition, hatred, and even persecution. On our own, we would have no answers, but Jesus says, when the counselor comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, 
The Holy Spirit enables you to testify about Jesus and to take on these giant challenges to see our society transformed. Lord, thank you that you call me your friend. Help me to love others as you have loved me. Old Testament from 1 Samuel 16 and 17 The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at, People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then made Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendants said to him, See an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, 
and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor-bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. 1 Samuel chapter 17 Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokoh in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim, between Sokoh and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah, and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill, and the Israelites another, with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing five thousand shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed six hundred shekels. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three eldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. 
Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, This is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's eldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done? said David. Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Trust in God. David was extraordinarily gifted. Naturally, as well as supernaturally, he was handsome and in good health. He was talented musically. He was a gifted speaker. He had athletic ability. He was a leader. He was successful. He was famous. Yet it was for none of these reasons that God used him. The Lord said to Samuel, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Human beings look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. David was outraged by Goliath's defiance of the living God. He was a courageous leader. He said, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine Goliath. What lessons can we learn from the way in which David tackled this giant. First, reject rejection. Eliab said to David, what are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business, tending this, that scrawny flock of sheep? I know what you're up to. You've come down here to see the sights, hoping for a ringside seat at the bloody battle. Yet David turned away from Eliab. The lesson we learn here is not to be put off if rejected or ill-treated. As Joyce Meyer writes, God is not looking for someone with ability, but someone with availability. Keep your heart pure by refusing to allow hatred, 
offence, bitterness, resentment or unforgiveness to stop you. Second, get involved. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. He volunteered his services. I'm always so moved and impressed by the way in which our congregation are willing to volunteer their services, praying, serving and giving. Third, trust God. Saul says to David, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. Yet David replies, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He trusts God because he knows that God is with him. Ultimately, the reason that David was able to tackle Goliath was that he was anointed by God. Samuel took his flask of oil and anointed him and his brothers standing round watching. The Spirit of God entered David like a rush of wind, God vitally empowering him for the rest of his life. The only way you will be able to tackle the giants in your life, in society and in the world is through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Lord, as I face the giants, I need the anointing of your Holy Spirit upon me and your presence with me. Give me courage not to run away, not to lose heart, and not to give up. Pepper adds, In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Human beings look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I have been guilty of judging people on their outward appearance. I have often met people that are very quiet and unassuming on the outside, and I've hardly noticed them, and then found out that they're changing the world around them in wonderful ways. It says, however, David did have a fine appearance, with handsome features, and was ruddy, whatever that is. I'm impressed already.